Welcome back to Leaders of Color, a podcast by Leading in Color. I'm your host, Sarisha Iyer, and on today's episode, we are joined by Tia Kennedy. Tia is the 10 Project Coordinator and studies public administration and governance at Ryerson University. Born just outside Wapole Island First Nations Reserve and from Oneida Nation of the Thames, she carries both Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee teachings. After her brain injury in 2014, Tia began her healing journey and rediscovering her spirituality. She hopes to help others deal with their trauma and reconnect the mind, body, and spirit. During her adolescent years, she spent a significant amount of time learning about Buddhism, where she practiced mindfulness teachings. Tia hopes to bring her knowledge of various cultures together to inspire our future leaders and set them up with the tools that they need to accomplish their goals and create a sustainable future in the betterment of humanity. She currently manages the 10 Digital Hub, an online platform designed for youth from all walks of life to speak their truth, share their stories, art, music, and more in a safe, positive, and supportive space. Specifically, this platform is intended to provide self-awareness, self-growth, and self-expression through various Indigenous cultures, teachings, ceremonies, and genres of music, art, and dance. While managing the 10 Digital Hub, Tia is working on a podcast called Satikwe, about mindfulness and spirituality. Tia has also started writing a series of children's books that will reinvest into Yotani's art program. The books will create awareness of the full range of beautiful cultures and focus on mindfulness for kids. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, how's it going today? My name is Tia. I'm so excited to sit down and talk with you guys today. Well, I know it has been a little bit of a weird time that we're recording in, but things are, I'm not sure about you, but things in Ontario have been starting to lift a little bit. I'm personally not going anywhere. I don't know if you're feeling the same way. Yeah. (laughs) But what are some of the things that you've been reading or watching? Well, a little bit of Netflix. I actually was watching too much at the beginning. So I took my TV out of my bedroom. Oh, nice. Now I've been reading a book. It's called The Happiness Advantage. It's amazing. It's basically like a scientific lens of Ikigai. It talks about how people believe that in order to be happy, we must be successful first. But they've done research using psychology and neuroscience, and there's no evidence that that's true. And it's actually the other way around. So that's how we get that happiness advantage. Oh, wow. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. It's by Sean Aker. Cool. A little bit of a shout out for anybody who wants to check it out. (laughs) Definitely go for it. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing with your organization, what it is that you guys do, and how you're working in your community. Yeah, for sure. So Yotani Charitable Initiative was founded by Amanda Kennedy, and it means it's growing in Oneida language. Uh, We focus on prevention and provide solutions, which include working together as families, communities, and nations, providing strong structure and ongoing support. So there are different projects within Yotani. There's Yeyatesi. That one is more for women, empowering women. And then there's TEN. So TEN is an online platform made for Indigenous youth to provide self-awareness, self-expression, mental wellness, and connection to our culture through various traditional teachings. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we focus on teaching our youth about interconnectedness and inclusivity. So we want to impact mental health, the justice, child welfare, and educational systems with innovative methods. Um, we empower youth to walk more, more balanced paths mentally, emotionally, and physically and spiritually. 
Our goal is to create more mindful leaders and pillars within our community. What motivated you to start doing this work? So I've actually always wanted to be a humanitarian ever since I was like five or six. I don't even know how I knew like what the word humanitarian was, but uh, I found out about it and I was like, that's it. Like, that's what I want to do. And I've been devoted to helping others ever since. Uh, And I actually kind of lost my path during my teen years until I started my healing journey. And Amanda, she's been doing this for years. She does so much for our community. It's actually insane. Um, But she just has this passion for building up our community. And I'm, I'm so grateful that we've crossed paths because it's been so many endless opportunities for me. And I just also love kids. They're really great. But um, (laughs) 10 was created in honor of Troy Edward Nicholas, who was a close childhood friend of Amanda. He was murdered on August 10th of 2010. So 10 is what the youth of yesterday needed. And it's for the youth of today. Which I think is oftentimes what Black, Indigenous, and racialized youth are forced to kind of reconcile with and, and reckon with. Um, is building these either organizations or programs or initiatives out of some sort of pain. How has your relationship with Amanda helped you do this work? It sounds like that's been a lot of peer mentorship. That can be something that a lot of folks don't necessarily have access to, but it sounds like you've built a relationship with somebody who has been able to provide sort of that space for you. And that I think is something that's amazing. How has that been for you? Wow, that it has been so like life changing and incredible. And I honestly don't feel like uh, Amanda always gets the recognition that she deserves. But I've always just my mom has taught me like, go for it. If there's an opportunity, like don't worry about being judged. Don't worry if you're going to fail, like just try it because you never know what might happen. And she does so much for our community. She was facilitating uh, these these indigenous women business courses and I was like I'm just gonna sign up I don't really have a business in mind yet but I might as well go and see what it's about Mm -hmm. so I started going and that's when I met her and what I kind of wanted to do was work with youth and she was looking for a youth um, indigenous youth leader to kind of help with the 10 platform so that's how we got connected and ever since it's just been like so much knowledge about everything. Like even myself, I've been growing as a person working with Yotani. It's mm-hmm. been incredible. That's so like heartwarming to hear, honestly. <laughs> Just like the knowledge sharing mm-hmm. um, and then the support that you also receive from other individuals, be it peers or folks who are a little bit older, um, I think is something that racialized youth in particular don't always have access to, like I said. And so to hear that that you have is something that I think is incredible. What have been some of the challenges that either you've gone through and experienced yourself or, or those that Amanda has helped you navigate as you've been doing this work? Yeah, well, right now with the Yotani and the 10 platform, um, with funders, they don't really always see our innovation or understand the need for this programming. So recently, that's been one of the bigger issues, just not being able to get funding. Um, But it really just fuels us up. Uh, We have an amazing team and everyone has such a drive and passion. So when we hear no, it's more like, okay, what's next? And this isn't always the best way to think, but I know growing up Indigenous and um, Black, sometimes you have to expect the worst. I remember applying for jobs. My friends 
would always have the coolest jobs at 14 because their parents knew someone who owned a restaurant Mm -hmm. of course but for Mm -hmm. me it was like going store to store day to day interview after interview so you just have to figure out how to get it done by yourself and we can hope for funding but this program needs to happen regardless Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll need this healing so we can't be dependent on on funding yeah that I think is a really powerful message that like despite the challenge of navigating sort of funding opportunities you're committed to still doing this work either way and making it happen which I think is really important and also a testament to kind of the labor that you have to do in these spaces that are so traditionally dominated again by by white folks like nonprofit spaces even community work spaces where funding is like you need to have audited financial statements from like three years yeah. in order to like qualify for anything which is ridiculous and it also we we just talked about this on the previous podcast too or one of the previous episodes but how like it disproportionately affects black indigenous and racialized communities and youth in particular who are doing this work or who are doing community-led and community-based work Mm -hmm. and so that is like a huge barrier for a lot of people but to see that this challenge is something that you're continuously dealing with and are still remaining resilient in the face of, I think is really incredible. Have you found ways to overcome any of those fundraising challenges? Have there been other opportunities that you've latched onto? Or have there been folks who who have been supportive of your work that have enabled you to kind of continue moving forward? Yeah, I think being like Indigenous, especially with Amanda, um, like resilience is always a big thing for us. We like we always keep fighting no matter what. And I think now that she's built up this team that understands that, that's really helped her with this um, endeavor. And she does have a lot of supporters. I know at heart, at first it was kind of hard for her, um, but now there's a few people that she works with and many people from London. Um, Amanda actually has a friendship circle full of people who support her and Yotani. So we recently received a grant from the London Community Foundation so that we can run our 10 virtual summer camp this year. Um, so that has helped out, helped out immensely. And there's other Indigenous organizations who, who support us as well. That's amazing. I love that when it boils down to it, it's kind of these like community-led organizations or initiatives are also being funded and promoted and upheld by the community a lot of times. And I think you're right, like it's a testament to to resilience again, that has been longstanding within your community and also a testament to kind of the desire to, to make a change and to see some sort of difference happen in the lives of young people, which I think is really important as well. You mentioned the summer camp, and I know we'll talk a little bit about opportunities available to young people later, but do you want to talk a little bit about what that is and, and how it came about? Yeah, so 10, at first we just ran um, like in-person summer camps, kind of building up leadership, uh, all that sort of stuff, empowering our Indigenous youth. And then we were going to launch our March break camp and then COVID hit and we mm-hmm. kind of had to pivot. So we were like, okay, let's let's put it online. And Amanda always wanted to do like a digital hub for Indigenous youth. So she had a little bit designed already. And so we had a great team who was willing to volunteer their time and everyone just really worked together and put up that website. And then from there... Uh, we had the idea of just launching a virtual summer camp. So everything's 
pretty much online now. Uh, we have live sessions from guest speakers. We do send out worksheets and coloring sheets for some of the younger youth. It's from ages five to 29. So it's even for some parents who are under 30 that might need a little extra help. So it, it's a great, it's going to be a great program that we're running this summer. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Have there been other ways that you've had to pivot because of COVID and the work that you guys are doing? Mostly through the camps. So everything was in person and it's been a little bit challenging, especially with Indigenous uh, being out on the reserves. The Wi-Fi isn't always the best or some people don't have access to laptops and tablets So luckily, we were able to receive that London Community Foundation grant. So that has helped us uh, being able to get supplies for uh, 15 youth within each group. So Mm -hmm. from we have five different age groups from 5 to 29. So I, I think we're able to support 75 youth for our camps. Wow, that is amazing. That's a lot of people. Yeah, it's incredible. It's it's unreal, honestly. Congratulations. That is like, that just sounds so amazing. Like, especially having to pivot to online and, and ensuring that you're accessible. Thank you. Have you found anything in particular, coping with those challenges, obviously, is one thing, but have you found anything in particular, especially fulfilling that helps you remain motivated to continue doing this work? I know it's a personal, it's a personal experience for you as well. And so that obviously drives into it. But has there been a particular moment where you've been like, despite the challenges, this is why we're doing this? Oh, my gosh, I think like all of it. I just, I personally love this stuff and hearing Mm. stories from our youth or their parents about how The programming has helped them so much. Um, I know I reach out to some of the youth personally, and um, they mentioned how before they were really struggling with finding friends, so that's why they signed up for the camp, and they they met some of their really good friends during the camp. And that, to me, hits me personally because I struggled with friendships too. So hearing that and being able to help others that way, it's really amazing. And just seeing them smile and making a difference. Not everyone goes home to like a warm cooked meal or a mom and a dad. So if I can help someone feel a part of something for a few hours, that's all I need. Wow, that is amazing. I'm like running short of adjectives to use. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, it's, I think it's because like it's so clear that it's such a passion of yours based on your own desires and own experiences. But then for you to go above and beyond with this organization to help others, I think is is just like the icing on the cake, you know? And I think uh, like for me too, when it comes to looking at the impact that you're having, when you can clearly see an impact that has happened for somebody else, that helps push past like all of the external factors that might be hindering your work. Do you have any tips for others who are doing work in their communities, other young people who might be feeling like, The work that they're doing is meaningful, but the challenges are just too heavy, especially in a time like this with COVID and the pandemic. I know you talked a little bit about mindfulness being something that's of interest to you. Uh, Self-care always. You have to make sure that you take care of yourself first. So our purpose doesn't always stay the same. Sometimes you'll need to switch it up, but you need to make sure that you're checking in with yourself and treating yourself well. So if you want to to live a meaningful and fulfilling life at least. Um, and I know I, I used to struggle with depression and I was would wake up and I'm like, huh, why am I not happy today? 
And it seems like you should just know this, but I had, I just didn't know it, I guess. And I had to learn that Mm -hmm. happiness is not an easy task and it's, it's hard work, just like everything else in life that is rewarding. So basically just work hard, wake up every day and keep going. Um, If you need to start hustling a little extra harder some days, it's always going to pay off if, as long as that's something that you're like passionate about. And then there's also this thing that I've, I've always lived by a concept from uh, Ikinawa, Japan. It's called Ikigai. So to sum it up in a few words, it's basically do what you love, do what you're good at, and do what the world needs, and you'll be rewarded. So just keep going, take every single opportunity, and walk through life carrying those seven grandfather teachings, and like you'll just be always be rewarded, whether it's internally or externally. My healing journey, it's not like... Uh, crazy like some people have gone through an enormous amount of stuff mine was just in high school I really got lost with the wrong friend group and uh, after my brain injury it was just really hard for me to I guess I was living a life a certain life my entire life and then at one point it was just gone in a second so after my brain injury so everything had changed I did a complete 180 and I didn't really know what I was doing. And that's when I started to get involved with alcohol and drugs. And it just, it was a really bad path for me. And I, I, I could feel that I had lost my spirit and it wasn't with me. Um, so then I, I really needed to figure stuff out and get my brain together. And that's when I started seeing healers and other elders and just learning more about being spiritual and staying in touch with your spirituality and how fulfilling and rewarding that really was. And getting on that path was the best decision I've ever made. That's wonderful. I'm glad that this has been a journey of healing and recovery for you, especially at such a young age to be able to kind of have that retrospection, I think is really unique and and helpful when it comes to to healing. Do you want to talk a little bit about your podcast that you have upcoming and how that relates to this work as well as your own journey? Yeah. So Sati Kwe is, Sati means mindfulness and Kwe means woman in Ojibwe. So basically the mindfulness woman, I like to call it. Uh, But It's basically about spirituality and mindfulness. Uh, I dive into a little bit of indigenous teachings, trying to create awareness for others. Uh, I grew up going to a French first language high school. And I remember in high school, some of the kids, I I told them I was going to the reserve and asked them if they would want to come. And they said, oh, I don't know if I can go out there. My mom said that they might shoot like bow and arrows at us. Oh my God. And I was thinking like, are you serious? And she's like, well, that's just what I heard. And it really put into perspective that people don't like they live in a bubble, like they don't know what's going on. So my entire life, like growing up with white friends and uh, Catholic friends, it's been a lot of teaching and teaching them about Mm -hmm. culture, but they've been all so amazing. And they're all so Um, accepting and they want to learn, which is so fortunate of me to have these friends. Uh, But they've been incredible. So it's been honestly a great thing for me. And it's more about teaching others and uh, really teaching them what 
what's going on and why we've been impacted by intergenerational trauma and colonization and how that gives them an advantage as opposed to us. Um, so it's, it's a lot about spirituality and mindfulness, but it also has that uh, create an awareness for other cultures and indigenous teachings. Um, I guess creating awareness and spirituality and mindfulness. Being around mostly white friends and, and having to do this work of educating them, that's a lot of emotional labor for you to have to take on too. Like wanting to be there for those folks and, and share with them why their sort of ignorance isn't okay. But that is a lot of emotional labor to take on. And so I wonder how you've managed to navigate that, having to teach others and educate others as to like quite literally your own humanity, right? Yeah. Um, um there's always a line for me so I'll I'll educate you the first uh, handful of times I I don't like let, letting go of people or giving up mm-hmm. so I'll I'll educate you so many times but at a point you have to make sure that your energy is being protected and you're um, in a safe environment for yourself and your spirit so if there's any negative thoughts or energy, that that negative energy goes a lot farther than positive positive energy does. And that's not okay to put yourself in that situation. So mm. if I feel the need to remove myself and there's no longer a possibility for me to educate this person and it's just shown that um, their ignorance is, is too strong, uh, I've... I believe that people will relive the same life over and over again until they learn the lesson. So mm-hmm. not me teaching them, they'll figure it out in the next life. <laughs> I think that's definitely a good way to put it. <laughs> and I think people should definitely, in those in your circles, I'm talking to them directly, should definitely be grateful for the amount of labor <laughs> that you've put in for them. Because that is that is a lot to take on. And I think often, especially racialized young um, young people, are forced into those situations to kind of like maintain the structures around us and the people around us, which is important, but at the same time can be draining. And so to recognize your, your labor and the work that you've been doing so that you can maintain those friendships with, with people and allow them to kind of continue experiencing your energy mm-hmm. and your creativity and, and all the good things that, that come from you. How has your sort of podcast linked with the work that you're doing with young people? Yeah, so I think a lot of my friends and a lot of people I know, they're they're not really into books. And then I started listening to podcasts. So like, hey, this might be a great way for other people to listen and learn rather than having to sit down and read to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, But with Yotani, it's just like, it's already doing so much for young people and I kind of want to add on to that. So that's why I started Sassy Quay. And with the children's books specifically, I use some of the youth volunteers who are really great artists. I asked them to help me with some of my books. um, And in exchange, I put a portion of the books will be going back into Yotani's art program, whether it's Yotessi's or the TENS um, art program. So that's really exciting. Have there been any developments that we can keep an eye out for? Um, Right now, I've just started some of the outlining, got some of the stuff set up for uh, publishing the books. Um, But I have more stuff set up for the podcast. Uh, I'm just Mm kind of waiting on some things to get it uh, 
set up online. I've got my mic and one, a few episodes already done, but I want to have enough that if I miss a week or something, I can post more. Uh, mm-hmm. But my Instagram for that, it's Sati Quay on Instagram. So I'll be posting everything and all the updates on there. And that's including the children's books and everything. Have there been any other opportunities that have arise with Yotani or with your podcast and, and the work that you're doing um, that other youth can get involved in? Oh, for sure. We're always accepting youth volunteers. So we have various teams within the organization. There's a social media team, mental health team, administration team, um, content creation. There's so many. There's an unlimited amount of opportunities. And we're really focused on creating a role that works for you and not putting you into a role that is just a role designed for us. Like we want to design a role for you. So uh, our upcoming projects are the 10 virtual summer camp and we're launching Yay Tussie shortly. So uh, we'll be starting also another online camp for September to make sure that parents and youth are ready for school and focusing on wellness while they're in school. So I know we have some volunteers who are going to be doing um, some resume workshops and uh, entrepreneurial entrepreneurial workshops. So there's tons of opportunities and we still have our summer camp open and you're always welcome to attend. Uh, it's only the 15 first registers for each age group that'll be covered, but you can still for their, that'll be covered for their supplies, but you can still register and attend the workshops and the live sessions. Amazing. And where can people find out more about the work that Yotani is doing? So yotani.org. We also have some projects within that, uh, truthempoweringnations.com, yayetussie.com. And then you can find us on Instagram, Facebook. Our Instagram handles at yotani.ci and on Facebook, we're yotani.ci. Before we let you go, I want to invite you to join us for our segment, How I Would End Racism which is my favorite part of the show other than learning about all the amazing opportunities and and work that young people are doing. But as racialized leaders, we are constantly actually trying to reduce the harm that racism has both on ourselves and in our communities while we fight to end it. But imagine if we could do so instantly. What would be your way of ending racism instantly if you could? Oh my gosh, I don't even know. I'd probably turn everyone like into one like specific breed of blue frogs (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing why a blue frog i just feel like blue's a good color and then everyone would be blue but then there's still the features and whatnot so you have to just make them all into frogs you just have to so everybody we're gonna erase the human race and it's just gonna be frogs (laughs) yeah and when have you ever met like an upset frog like they're all just swimming in the ponds living their life (laughs) actually you know what's embarrassing the only frogs i can actually think of are like this toad from arthur that i watched when i was little (laughs) and there was like this arthur or dw had like a pet toad Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then the princess and the frog, which I haven't seen yet. Maybe I'm lacking frogs in my life. Maybe that's the reason. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you need some more frogs in your life. (laughs) Um, But great. Blue frogs. We're going to all become blue frogs. Sounds good to me. (laughs) 
this this is when will will the frogs be given an opportunity to say that they are colorblind or will they only see blue oh yeah that's a good question (laughs) that we can leave that as a rhetorical for now Um, but thank you so much for joining our podcast. It's amazing to hear about the work that you're doing with Yotani. And we look forward to hearing your podcast and, and hearing all the wisdom that you have to share and the knowledge that you have to share from your own experience, as well as uh, the, the mindfulness journey that you're on. So yeah, thank you so much. And we hope to work with you soon. Yeah, thank you. This has been an incredible experience. So thank you so much.